As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our look ahead to the 2022-23 Champions League season. It's here. It's the 68th season of the European Cup and 31 teams will be looking to dethrone 14-time champions Real Madrid. Can they be dethroned? Who will be left behind in the group stages? Who are this year's Sheriff Tiraspol? Hmm. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to discuss these topics and many, many more is a man looking forward to seeing his team in this year's competition. Taylor Rockwell, let's look. Which group are Man United? Oh, sorry. Taylor. <laughs> I-, I was going to make the same joke. It's funny when I do it. It's just hurtful when you do it. <laughs> You doing okay, buddy? You need a soda? I mean, I was. Now I'm going to go drink a soda or something stronger. Yeah, Man United is in it, but in some ways, here's me grasping at straws, it's fun because it removes the rooting interest and then I'm just watching the Champions League and having no vested interest in it. This is me talking and smiling while crying in the eyes. Well, then you're like the rest of us, to be fair, on this podcast. Hey, that's true. Wimbledon didn't make it? This wasn't their year? Not this year. Not this year. Ah, next year. Maybe next, next year, year Tato. Uh, well, we qualify from League Two into the Champions League. Uh, also here, Taylor, a man we made record absurdly early West Coast yeah. time today, Joe Lowry. Have you had your cornflakes, sir? Oh, it's it's not that early. It's early, but it's not like absurdly early. We'd have to be going another 30 minutes or an hour earlier for it to be considered absurdly early. Now I've said the word early too many times, and I've just woken up. I can't do this anymore. I also don't, <laughs> I don't really like cornflakes. I don't know what the general TSS consensus on cornflakes is, but oh. I, I'm trying to eat cereal to have my dessert for breakfast, not to have actual Attaboy. breakfast for breakfast. Here, here. So cornflakes are going to be a thumbs down for me. And what's thumbs up? Um, Lucky Charms. Graham, I know yes. you like Lucky Charms. They're they're a top tier cereal. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> they'll come. They'll come an age, Joseph, when you can't eat that much sugar in the morning. I am not at that age yet, baby. You're not, and celebrate that fact, sir. I am. Joining us, Joe, a man who's had the best week of his life this week because he was followed by at footy scran. Graham Rutherford, how are you handling this validation of your values and ethos? I am still on cloud nine. I can't quite believe that I'm no longer going to have to tag footy scran in my footy scran tweets. They're just going to see them 
in their timeline, and I believe Ryan, that you might have also been followed by them, by them too. So anything that you get at, at Wimbledon, I know you have some nice food trucks at uh, at Plough Lane. Those will also be picked up by uh, by the one and only Footy Scrand. How many DMs have you sent them, Graham? Uh, it, it's below hundred at this point. <laughs> Let's but we'll cross way. we'll cross that threshold soon, I'd imagine. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All right, guys, uh, enough of that business. Why don't we get straight into some Champions League action? The final this season, by the way, guys, in Turkey, in Istanbul. This is the third attempt. Don't to try they say that every it. season? Yeah, I was going to say yeah, it's becoming an annual tradition to try and hold it at this stadium. Um, it's, uh, yeah, this is the third time, obviously, because of the pandemic. I think we'll probably get it done this time. No Turkish sides in the group stage for the first time since ninety five, ninety six, incidentally. And elsewhere, we have Eintracht Frankfurt making their debut in this competition after winning the Europa League. We've got Celtic and Rangers in the mix. The first time they've been here since 2007-08. Graham, excited about that? I am, actually. I think Celtic and Rangers, we might speak about this a, a little bit more in this show, but I think Celtic and Rangers at this point are actually are actually pretty decent. Of course, Rangers making the Europa League final last season, Celtic winning the title. I'm excited to see how their young team does, but it's, it's definitely a good thing. This is a bit of a debate in Scottish football, actually, because obviously it creates the gulf between the top two and the rest in Scottish football. But in my eyes, it's good to have the Champions League back in, in, in Scotland and we will hear that famous anthem in Glasgow again. Can you? Will you be able to hear it if you open your window? Possibly. I heard Coldplay from Hamden the other the other week, which uh, was not ideal. I would much rather hear the uh, Champions League anthem out the window. <laughs> All right, laying it down. You're not, you're not getting a, um, a direct message from Chris Martin anytime soon. Like <laughs> not Fair unless enough. he's the admin of Footy Scran. <laughs> oh, maybe he is. We'll, uh, we'll look into that. Uh, anyway, 32 teams in this competition. As we know, it's a round-robin style for the group stages. Eight groups of four. Top two in each group go through to the round of 16. Third place transfers to the Europa League and Real Madrid eventually win at the end. Or do they? Taylor, why don't we start by talking about some of the favourites? Now... I tend to look at the betting odds to see who the favourites are because that makes logical sense to me. And I believe every year for at least the past four or five years, Manchester City have been the favourite from the outset and there is no exception to that this season. Yeah, I I think they are fair ones to start with uh, given the way they have started this season in the Premier League, given that Erling Haaland is apparently now just the Terminator and cannot (laughs) be stopped and can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. I will say if Haaland gets injured, which he has a tendency to do occasionally. Uh, I could see that being a fairly big problem for City because there's not many who can replicate what he brings to the equation. But as long as he is healthy, I think it's safe to say City are comfortably favorites in my mind. Uh, Who else's mind are they favorites in? Joe, how about your mind? Uh, I don't know that they're miles ahead of any of the rest of the favorites. I feel like there's this group. There's this favorite contingent. And, And City are certainly one of them. I still don't see that much difference between City and Liverpool. So I have them both as favorites in this competition. Bayern Munich as well are absolutely in this group. PSG, we've been burned before. I'm ready to be burned again, baby. PSG are in this group. (laughs) And then Real Madrid as returning champions. It feels like, you know, this is a a giant stretch. And this is like a dollar store versus shopping at Louis Vuitton. Uh, But I feel like there's some Austin FC vibes with Real Madrid where they're just constantly the teams of destiny. Yeah, Poundland. (laughs) Sorry, my bad. They're, they're just constantly this team of destiny. Real Madrid just cannot lose games that matter. And Austin FC, they lost last night, so this analogy doesn't really hold up. Also, it's just not the same. Either way, Madrid win all the time, so they're in this group too. I think um, Austin would be flattered by that analogy at the very least, Joe. I mean, they would. Real Madrid likely not. <laughs> 
so much. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, Graham, as I mentioned, a City, the favourites perennially in mm-hmm. this competition, but the favourites evidently don't win this competition all the time. It's not necessarily about who the strongest team is from the outset, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And uh, Yeah, that, that's true, but I honestly think this has to be Manchester City's year. I, I slightly disagree with Joe in that I think City, there is, it's not a huge gap. I'm not going to say there's. it's going to be like uh, City aren't turning the Champions League into the Bundesliga anytime soon, but I, I do think they probably are the, the best team in Europe by quite a distance just because... Liverpool at the moment, some questions about them. Obviously, they win last night against Newcastle. They put nine past Bournemouth. So they're still a a very good team, but there's questions about how Darwin Nunes is going to change their attacking focus. And injuries have been a bit of a problem in midfield. And today, it sounds like they're signing Artur Mello from Juventus, which that's a a very unusual, that's a very un-Liverpool signing. I can't imagine that Michael Edwards, when he was at Liverpool, would have made that signing. And kind of speaks to a little bit of desperation at Liverpool over their their midfield situation. So... There is there are, there are some questions around Liverpool. I have a question. I still think, I have a go, question. So, Graham, can you articulate why? And I don't know that I disagree with you, but I just think we should clarify. Why do you think Artur is is an un Liverpool signing? Because when I've watched Artur at Barcelona, one of the biggest things that was was held against him, and I haven't watched much of him at Juventus, but that's because he hasn't really played. He hasn't really played much at Juventus, and Juventus, uh, their midfield has been a problem area for the last kind of couple seasons. So that says something in itself that he hasn't been able to uh, to break into that Juventus midfield. I mean, Adrian Rabio is playing games for Juventus over Artur at Juventus right now. I mean, was Rabio not available for, for Liverpool to make a, a last-minute panic buy? But look, going back to his Barcelona days, the thing that was held against him was he, he didn't have the work rate to really right. press opposition teams, that he would stand off sides. And when you look at Jurgen Klopp and kind of heavy metal football... Um, I think that makes him a slightly awkward fit. He is a, he is a decent passer of the ball. Maybe if Liverpool are looking to control games, he can... I'm not saying necessarily that Artur is a bad player. You don't sign for Barcelona and Juventus being a bad player, but it feels like he's a bit of an awkward fit for that Liverpool team, and I don't expect him to to, to contribute much. It feels like a little bit of a, a, a depth signing for the sake of a depth signing. So I think City will have an, an advantage over Liverpool just because you look at... Even if Haaland gets an injury, I accept what you're saying there, Taylor... But that would just make essentially make City what they were like last sure. season, where they're using Phil Foden as as a as a false number nine. I accept that they have lost Jesus and Sterling, but nonetheless, that's still a team that knows how to play without a, a number nine. And when Haaland is fit, they now have a, a Nordic meat shield who scored about <laughs> seven hundred goals in his first ten games. So just looking at the the binary aspect of that he has added a lot of goals to that team and there will be chances the Champions League the matches in Champions League seem to be defined by one or two moments and I just have greater faith in City to take those one or two moments this season um, listen up if you are at work yeah. please don't google Nordic Meek Shield please don't say, please don't do that <laughs> Graham, Graham question for you first of all Ryan uh, co-sign on that one was not ready for Nordic Meat Shield before 10am on the East Coast uh, Graham putting it this way this is a fun episode for me so far uh were you surprised to see that it was Liverpool he was linked with and not Manchester United? Because when I read that headline, yes. I was like, oh, that's a Man United signing. Here we go. They're going to do it again. And then when it was Liverpool, it felt strange. It's it's slightly jarring that Manchester United, besides Dubravka, don't seem to be making any big signings on deadline day. The last couple of years, it's been, it's been uh, a lot of desperation from them on the final day. So it's unusual that Liverpool are the ones making the desperation signing. Oh. Are we speaking too soon, possibly? There's a few hours to go as we record, Jake. Possibly. There's yeah. always time. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Ra- Rabio might still be uh, making that move. There's there's still time. Only the keep, listener will know. 
I always just think of the Peter Griffin negotiating scene where it's like ten dollars, twenty dollars, four thousand dollars. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of how I expect Manchester United to go. So yeah, hundred million Rabio offer. We shall see. But until that happens, uh, I, I I think I am I'm actually inclined to agree with Joe a little bit, having stated how strongly I think City are the favorites. I think he is right that there is this sort of group, this sort of pack. I think City is probably at the top of that pack, which is why we talked about them first. But I do think Madrid uh, mathematically can never be, uh, or officially can never be written off. And I think PSG have made really smart signings this summer. Uh, I don't know if the Mbappe renewal will end up being one of those smart signings, but he is just so good that he can be that difference maker. But I think they've built out their core to be much more solid and much more consistent across the entirety of the pitch versus they have nine attackers. Yeah. How will they fit all nine attackers into the pitch? Are they going to play a one zero nine? I'm fascinated. This time around, I think PSG are just going to be solid. The midfield group, I think that they've bolstered and brought in, is really impressive. And the name that yep. stands out there for me above all the rest in terms of the incomings is Renato Sanchez, who was brilliant last year in Liga, really, really good against Chelsea in the Champions League group stage as well. He's a phenomenal player. We've seen him at high levels before, but but now I think it's very clear that he's ready to contribute. He might not be an every game starter because it's really hard to be an every game starter at PSG unless your name is Messi. But he's he's a phenomenal presence. He adds a little more mobility. And, and for Christophe Gauthier, PSG's manager, they, they're already dominant in Liga. But one thing that's interesting, and this isn't like a massive increase, and we need to see more, but they're, they're pressing a little bit more in the final third. They're averaging almost five more pressures in the attacking third per 90 minutes, according to FB refs. So they moved up from 41.9 last year to 46.5 this year. And again, not like this crazy eye-popping, eye-catching increase, but an increase. And players like Renato Sanchez, he's a lot more than mobility. He's, he's, I think, first and foremost, a presence on the ball, which is what you need to be for PSG. But they bring a little bit more. When you see players like Landro Paredes going out, someone who doesn't have much mobility at all, but is a phenomenal passer, in, in place uh, of, of Paredes, you get players like Fabian Ruiz, who's not the most mobile guy. But Renato Sanchez is, is one of those, certainly, I think this team becomes a little more complete. So I'm interested to see what they can do this year. It's, it's slightly foreboding that PSG last season, one of their, their biggest flaws was, was they didn't have any cohesion players. And then uh, Luis Campos has come into that, that club and basically gone, OK, we're going to sign all the cohesion players that there are. So Vitinha, Renato Sanchez, Fabian Ruiz, less so, but he's, he's, he's a good deep line playmaker. Carlos Soler, I think, is going to sign for them today. So that, that squad has been bulked out in terms of some of the players that they were, they were missing last season. Um, we've pretty much covered all the favourites, except for one I don't think we've talked about much, if at all. Um, Joe, by Munich, I can't quite get a read on them this season. Obviously starting very confidently, but scraping a draw last weekend. They've got Union Berlin in the league this weekend, as we record. And I, I feel like Union Berlin could even snatch a result in that one. What do we make of Bayern and their chances in Europe? Uh, heavy favourites. Like maybe my first favourite in my group of favourites, but if not that... Still incredibly heavy favorites. I think calling that 1-1 draw against Gladbach scraping a draw might be the <laughs> be the, the harshest way to describe that okay, game that a, I can possibly have. A million shots, but a goal in the end. Maybe, maybe scraping is the wrong term. Sure. And I, I know what you mean. It's not like Bayern are, are going to be the Invincibles in the Bundesliga. That's not going to happen. But, I mean, they are dominant in Germany. They have the chance creators. They have players who can capitalize on those chances. It's going to take a little bit of time for all that to gel perfectly. 
But, I mean, the amount of speed they have, the transfer window they've had, we've talked about this before, lots of really promising players coming in at a number of different ages, but all relatively young and at different stages of being ready to contribute to this squad. I think it's just another example of Bayern doing phenomenal business and, and strengthening a team, or, or at the very least, helping it continue to evolve. And this next evolution is a scary one. Never bet against Bayern. That is the golden rule of the soccers, ladies and Correct. gents. Let's take a very quick break. When we come back, uh, let's look at some of the outside favorites. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Champions League, specifically the upcoming group stages. Uh, Graham, have you got any nominations for teams outside the pack that uh, might surprise us in this competition? So you say might surprise prizes it depends what your definition of a surprise is the team that i'm about to put forward are not going to win the champions league and look there's a high probability they don't even make it out of the group but i, have to, vouch, I have to vouch for at least one of the two scottish teams in the champions league group stage this season as you mentioned ryan that hasn't happened uh, since 2007 that scotland has had two teams in the champions league proper and and as i said right at the top i think that says something about how uh, celtic and rangers are actually pretty good right now obviously a lot of listeners will have seen rangers as they made the run to the Europa League final, but I, I reckon Celtic might get some neutrals on side with, with their performances. So some background for listeners who don't know, this time last year, Celtic were a mess. Um, they faced a, a complete rebuild of their team. And when I say that, I, I really do mean it. They, they were talking about 11 players coming going in, uh, going out of the club and coming into the club. And they hired a manager, Ange Postacoglu, who most fans hadn't heard of. He was their second choice. They wanted Eddie Howe. That got pretty far along the, the line. And then Eddie, Eddie Howe backed out. And Postacoglu arrived and no one really knew who he was. He'd come from Japanese football. He's an Australian coach. He was a former manager of the Australian national team. But since then, Postacoglu has turned Celtic into this incredibly dynamic, modern team. And Celtic have signed a good number of really exciting young players. So Jota is one, Liel Abada is one, he scored a hat-trick at the weekend, Kyogo Furuhashi, um, he's not as young as the other two, but he's an incredibly technical, mobile centre-forward and kind of embodies how Celtic have changed as, as a team under Postacoglu. They would have never played a centre-forward like Kyogo until Postacoglu uh, Post came into that team. And all, and all of a sudden, they just have exciting young players coming out of, this, coming out of their years. They've got this uh, this Greek striker, uh, Giacomakis, who is very good. He's probably not going to start every game, but he's uh, good enough to come off the bench and make an impact. I think the issue might come when they have to be compact and be a bit more pragmatic. So in Scotland... Celtic are, are used to imposing their own game. They have a natural dominance, but they won't be able to do that as often in the Champions League. So how will they fare in those scenarios when they have to be a bit more defensive? I think that is that is the question heading into the Champions League. It's a fairly inexperienced 
team that they have and you look back at when Celtic were last in the Champions League and they were dominant in Scotland when they had Brendan Rodgers as manager and Brendan Rodgers just was unwilling to compromise on his principles as a coach and he went into the Champions League thinking that Celtic could impose their own game as they do in Scotland and they got they got handed some uh, heavy defeats by PSG and, and, and Barcelona and Bayern Munich in that in that group stage so I think that is the question for Celtic. If they can do that, I expect that some neutrals will like what they see from uh, Postacoglu and his, and his players. Graham, uh, quick question for me. You gave a lot of credit to Postacoglu and a lot of other players. Was there any sort of like particularly heroic defender that maybe deserves a mention? <laughs> I think you might be leading me towards CCV. Is oh, was that, that, is no, that, is I was just curious. I was just curious if maybe there was a very right. good defender that hadn't been mentioned yet. <laughs> My watch just said, you're welcome, which feels <laughs> pretty apt. Um, yeah, Cameron Carter-Vickers has made a, a, a pretty profound impact. I think it's fair to say on, on Celtic, their defence was was a mess before he came in and, and he has been a mainstay of, mainstay of that team. I am pretty confident, barring injuries, he will start every Champions League game for Celtic. Who starts alongside him is more of a question because Celtic have Moritz Jens and, and Carl Starfeld who have been rotated in and out of that position. But Carter Vickers, along with a couple other players, are, are really as, as part of the spine of this Celtic team. And if he performs well in the Champions League and Celtic have got a Celtic's group is an interesting one because obviously you've got Real Madrid in there and there's a good quality in that group there in there with um, RB Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk. But RB Leipzig have started the season poorly and so I don't think it's completely out of the question that Celtic at least are competitive for that second or third spot in that group. So if Carter Vickers performs well, then maybe that's enough to get him on the plane to Qatar. Uh, Taylor, if you look at the odds once again, the sixth favourite team, according to an aggregation of the bookmakers, is Tottenham Hotspur Hmm. at the moment. Um, checks Antonio Conte's record in yeah. cups. So, what do we think? Uh, he was he won one as a player. That counts, right? Uh, won the Champions League in 1995-96. Has not won it uh, since as a manager. I don't think he's won anything in Europe as a manager. He was the runner-up for the Europa League. But maybe this is the perfect combination of right manager, right club, right time. Because Antonio Conte is bringing that. I've never won the Champions League. I've never won a, a European competition to, well, a club European competition, to uh, to Tottenham, who themselves often get ridiculed for their trophy cabinet. And I could see a sort of backs-against-the-wall, like, fighting-tooth-and-nail performance to get them all the way through uh, to the final. I genuinely could see Spurs making a deep run. I have said before, I will say again, I feel like they still have... Jose Mourinho's imprint on them. I just remember him taking over and suddenly there was a lot more physicality. There was a lot more kicking. There was a lot more you have to be ruthless competitors. And I do still sort of think that like Spurs had to walk under Jose Mourinho so they could aggressively foul under Antonio Conte. And, and I think that they have that like energy. I think they have that competitiveness and I think they also have a willingness to be defensive and frustrate and then spring counterattacks and we know that's worked for teams in the past looking in your direction Atletico Madrid so I could see this Spurs team uh, making a run being a really difficult team to beat and I also think the atmosphere is just going to be next level for them uh, to be to be back in the Champions League to be a a if not favorite, then in that sort of top tier of of the teams we're going to be discussing. It's why it's maybe weird to put them in the hipster picks, but I would say I, I have a lot of faith in Tottenham to comfortably make it out of their group and uh, maybe go on a run from there. Joe, hipster picks from you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple that I'll go into. RB Salzburg is one. I feel like they're a perennial hipster pick in this competition. I felt like I couldn't pick Ajax 
after how deep their run was last year, you should watch Ajax, even without Eric Ten Hag, and even with some some changes in their squad, watch Ajax. But I feel like that's kind of a given at this point, so I might pick back up my Ajax love later on. Mm-hmm. But for now, I wanted to spread the love a little bit. So RB Salzburg, they're always a team that is going to do something in this competition because of how they're built. You go through and look at their squad, it is so young. That even extends to the manager, Matthias Jasla. But he did this job before. Like, like we saw RB Salzburg make a nice run and make some noise last year in the Champions League. There's no reason why they can't do that again. Sure, they don't have Brendan Aronson. But there's tons of other talent in this team. Noah Okafor is, a, is an attacker to watch. Benjamin Sesko is another attacker to watch. Both players that are, are dangerous and likely will be going for... 20 million or more over the next couple of seasons. So I would keep your eye on RB Salzburg. You know what you're getting from them tactically. You know what you're getting stylistically. Lots of pressing, tons of direct play. And I, I tend to think, and this is not like always the case, but I tend to think that style does pretty well in knockout competition. So RB Salzburg is one. Benfica is the other one. Top of the league in Portugal right now might be John Brooks' new home after it seems like a deal with Mallorca fell through. Folks might know more about that than we do right now as we record because they're listening later on. But that's, that would be one reason to watch Benfica. Another reason is that they're a good team, managed by Roger Schmidt after he was at PSV. Uh, so we kind of have an idea of, of how he wants to play, not just from PSV, but from earlier on in his career. Of some aggressive play, usually it's a back four. It's pretty vertical, but not exclusively so. Benfica dominate possession in Portugal. But also some fun players. Rafa Silva is one of my favorite players to watch in this competition. He's a, a small playmaker. He was on the wing at times last year, sometimes underneath Darwin Nunez, just popping up in random spots and, and, and creating a problem for opposing defenses. I like watching Rafa, Rafa Silva. I've generally enjoyed watching Roger Schmidt's teams. Benfica feels like another team to watch for me, along with Salzburg and the other teams that have been mentioned. Can I also add Marseille? to the list Um, in much the same way that Nottingham Forest being back in the Premier League feels right Marseille being in the Champions League also feels right they're the the France's uh, biggest club I've always wanted to go to the the Velodrome it's not a a place that I've been yet but it's on the list I want to go there to watch a match because it looks like a an incredible place to watch a, a game, and inherent, inherently they are a very uh, chaotic club, I think it's fair to say. Um, so there's always that element to following Marseille. Jorge Sampoli, he, he left the, the club over the summer. He was unhappy at a lack of transfers being made, which was not a good sign. Igor Tudor, the, the former Croatian international, is their, is their new manager. But he's actually started very well. I think Marseille have caught people by surprise by how good they've been in the early part of this season. They've won four of their first five league on matches and they're playing this this brand of really entertaining attacking football they're scoring freely and they have a bunch of players that even though I'm putting them forward as a hipster pick they've got a bunch of players that you've heard of before so Matteo Gunduzi, Alexi Sanchez, Eric Baez just signed for them, Dimitri Payet, Jordan Veratou, Nuno Tavares who by the way he's on loan from Arsenal I think he's got maybe three or four goals this season he seems to be a very different player for Marseille than the one he was for Arsenal. So if you want to see how a team full of players chewed up and spat out by the Premier League would do in the Champions League, Marseille are the team for you. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Um, Joe, we I don't think we've mentioned Barcelona yet in this podcast yet. Uh, it's possible they become an NFT by the time the season is out. We haven't ruled that one out. But like, this past weekend against Verdelid, they were very, very entertaining. They turned the entertainment faucet on and they flooded the Camp Nou. I'll say that as much. Um, what do you think about their chances? I like their team a lot. Clearly, they now have some water damage that has to be sorted out. Spotify, I assume, can handle that. I don't know what that process looks like. But Barcelona are... 
I'm I'm really high on this team. When you look at the transfers that they've made, yeah, it, it's kind of like I, I use this to talk about Nottingham Forest, but it's kind of like this for Barcelona too, of them just playing FIFA in real life. Now it seems like Aubameyang's going to Chelsea and Marcus Alonso for some reason is coming to Barcelona. That's happening, I guess. There, there's been a lot of that, but this team is is really strong. I think they might have the best squad in La Liga, and that includes Real Madrid. What they don't have is a lot of cohesion yet. What they don't have is a lot of time under Xavi, which is something that I think the top-tier favorites in this competition have, that in an established recent pattern of success. Barcelona don't have that, but I think they're trending in that direction. So they shouldn't count as a hipster pick when you go out and spend as much as they do. Everyone knows about Barcelona. They're certainly not this this team that's going to take everyone by surprise. But based off of their recent record, and based off of Taylor, even some of the comments that we got yesterday in our BR Live show about people kind of clowning on, on Barcelona, which is just stuff that happens in the comments of live streams. So I, I understand that. It's not like that's the, the consensus opinion necessarily, but I'm I'm really high on this team, and I would not be surprised if they did some real damage. I also, given the group that they're in, wouldn't be surprised if they don't make it out of the group. So that's just kind of yeah. where we're at with Barcelona right now. To be fair, some of those comments were coming from users with names like a la Madrid 6969. So like, I, I think that maybe there's a little bit of bias there. <laughs> yeah, I assumed that was Graham. Um, but I do love that Joe has been on this pro Barcelona train, or at least this iteration of Barcelona train, for quite some time. Because we're all over here like wringing our hands talking about finances and levers and NFTs. And Joe, I think, routinely has just been like, yeah, but they're going to be fun. Like, they're really good. This guy's really good. They got that guy's really good. So I like that Joe gets to... Uh, Sing Barca's praises for a second, because I do think they will be a fun team, even if they implode, even if they're not good. I think that in and of itself is kind of fun to see how they how they handle it, how they go about trying to make something happen. And if they don't, also still interesting. Uh, I guess that's like more voyeuristic than anything else coming from me. But I agree with Joe. I think uh, they're like a favorite and a hipster pick at the same time, but maybe also a train wreck. Uh, we'll just have to stay tuned. Uh, my other hipster pick that I would mention here would be Napoli. I've been... Uh, pretty hyped about Napoli since talking to David Amoyal, but uh, watching them in Serie A so far has done nothing to diminish that. I really like the the team they're putting toge- together. I think they've got a, a strong start to the season, but I also think because they've sold some of those bigger names, Koulibaly Chief amongst them, uh, that there are maybe fewer expectations. And I think it's a it's a shaky uncertain group is how I would put it because Liverpool are having a strange start to the season. They're not rock solid yet, but we would assume they will get there. Rangers, uh, Graham has mentioned, uh, like make the run are a solid team, but I wouldn't say it's like uh, Napoli find themselves in a group with, let's say Bayern, Barca and Inter. That could be a little bit trickier. Uh, And then Ajax are a team. Basically, like if you think of them as like a, a race car, Joe, if you're walking through, you're you're about to buy your race car and you've got the 23 the, the 2023 model of this one and the 2023 model of that one the iX1 you come to is like it's the 2022 model and it's on blocks because it's been stripped for parts that's kind <laughs> of how this iX team feels to me right now they will end up being good i'm sure but i think there are opportunities uh there for for napoli uh who I've been blanking this entire time on their manager. I love their manager so much. I love, thank you. Uh, I love how much he he just like gives it to the media. He got into it with a guy for insulting his mother during a game. Uh, so I feel like he he doesn't really brook any fools, and I think will uh, will be a good figure for them in the Champions League. So I wouldn't dismiss Napoli too readily either. 
that that group that they're in is a proper Champions League group. Is it? Is am I the only one that that thinks that? Like, there's no sovereign wealth funds, just big yep. historic clubs with giant fan bases. There's something very satisfying about it. And if you're a fan of one of those clubs, I know Rangers fans for a fact are delighted that the away days that they've got. So there's there, you know there's a battle of Britain in there. Then you've got Amsterdam. Then you've got Naples. That that is a good Champions League group to be in. Yeah. So that's Group A: Ajax, Liverpool, Napoli, and Rangers. Which yeah is. That feels kind of classic, Graham, doesn't it? I like that. Yeah, it does. It's a proper Champions League group. Can we do an entire episode on Luciano Spalletti? Because uh, his time in Russia aside, we can skip over that. Uh, I think just his time with Roma was what first put me in, but I think he is he just has that, like the Italian grandpa who also you don't want to cross sort of vibe uh, that I think is, is what you need to manage in the modern game. So Spalletti, great. Napoli, great. Uh, Rangers, fine. Let's do this. I'm not sure I've ever met an Italian grandpa that I do want to cross or that I think it would be wise to cross. It's a fair I think you could take the it's word grandpa point. out of there as well, Jim. <laughs> In my you would know. You would know, Ryan. I, I feel like I could take Roberto Benini. That's one Italian I feel like I could probably handle in, in some fisticuffs. Okay, before we threaten any more <laughs> violence to Italians, should we move on to talk more specifically? That's normally your job. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's what I'm here for. That's all this is, Ryan. It's just better I'm stepping on this turf. <laughs> Let's talk about the groups a little deeper. We've heard about the most proper group in Group A. Have we identified a group of death? Uh, Joe, I think my nomination is... Victoria group- Pilsen have. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they yep. have. Good joke. I think it's that group, Group C, isn't it? You've got Victoria Pilsen in there. Uh, the drunkest city in Europe, I'll call it. Uh, Inter Milan, Barcelona. Nope, that's Glasgow. <laughs> oh, actually, Barcelona might be the drunkest city in, in Europe as well. There's a few nominations. And Bayern Munich. Munich, oh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of drinking going on in this group. But Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Inter, and Victoria Pilsen. Joe, that feels like the deathiest group of death in this <laughs> tournament? Yes, it feels very deathy. It feels death-like, about as death-like as you can get. Uh, and I, I think this fits the criteria. It's certainly, it's the hardest group, right? When you look at the teams involved here, Victoria Plisson is is the one that's not nearly as well known, right? So you have Barcelona, you have Bayern Munich, you have Inter Milan. According to Opta and the analyst, Group C, so that that group I just mentioned, is the hardest group based off of their their scores. And then Group A is close behind. We already talked a bit about Group A: Liverpool, Ajax, Napoli, and Rangers. So those are some of the the toughest groups in this competition. I, I'm curious to see. First of all, if anyone disagrees with that, if anybody has any other ideas as to what the hardest group is. And I'll also posit the easiest group before I turn it over to someone else. I think Group D, the one with, with Tottenham, Marseille, Eintracht, Frankfurt, and shoot, who's the fourth team? I have it here somewhere. Do, 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 oh, and Lisbon, uh, Sporting Lisbon. Yeah. Sporting, yeah. That, that to me is the easiest group. You look at where these teams finished last year, Shame. and I know that's not the, the best way to look at this, but it is a, a solid way. Taylor, I hear your shame and I'm ignoring it. Tottenham finished fourth in the Premier League last season. Sporting Lisbon finished second in Portugal last season. Marseille finished second in Liga last season. And I track Frankfurt finished 11th in the Bundesliga last season. Yes, I know they won the Europa League, but that's precisely why this group is so easy. I'm not saying it's lopsided. I think a lot of teams have a chance here, but it is not as difficult on the top end as some others because as Europa League winners and I track Frankfurt, they become a top-seeded team. So you're looking at them being a top seed along with teams like Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and Manchester City and Liverpool versus them actually getting one of those teams in their group. So Group D for me is the easiest. I don't know if anybody disagrees with either Group C is the hardest or Sounds D like is someone the easiest. Does. I don't know if, if Group D is the hardest. I wouldn't say it's the easiest. I think it would be the easiest if you put if you switched out one 
of the teams for a very dominant team. If you threw Bayern Munich in instead of Eintracht Frankfurt, then I think that that it has a different shape to it. But because, well, yeah, in my <laughs> that mind, makes it a different group. Yeah, it makes well, it no, <laughs> wait for it because I think because then you have one dominant team and everyone else is fighting for like second place, trying not to be third. I think when all of these teams are at fairly similar levels and all of them can spring surprises on each other, they're all. Like, if you're at the same level, none of you are way better, none of you are way worse. Looking at Group C, I have a hard time calling that a group of death because Victoria Pilsen is not going to get out of that group. They're not going to get points. So it's really three of the four teams are very good. And in Group D, I think everyone is so evenly matched. I have no idea who's going to finish bottom. I really have no idea who's going to finish top. I would lean Tottenham. I think they have probably the most financial resources to make that happen. But I think all of those games are going to be really compelling and really captivating. And I won't be surprised if... There is there are there are two teams that fully separate. I won't be surprised if if it's all sort of decided on that final day. So to me, it's less big name or fewer big names, but at the same time, I think it's still a really challenging group given the teams in yeah. it. I don't I don't think Group B is particularly strong either because I think you've got three teams that are potentially at quite a low ebb. So maybe maybe Atleti are the, are the big name in, in, in Group B, but. We've seen over the last year that they certainly have their weaknesses and even watching them in the early part of this season, Simeone doesn't know what his attack is and it very much feels like their defence. Defence has always been the biggest strength of Atletico Madrid under Simeone, but I'm not sure that is the case right now. So they're not particularly strong right now. Porto have lost their midfield over the summer by by selling Vitinha and and Fabio Vieira to, uh, to Arsenal. And then Leverkusen, who are you know they're they're pretty experienced at this sort of level, a big club obviously, and and um, do relatively well in the Bundesliga. But they've they've lost, um, I think, all of their first four Bundesliga matches. My notes are letting me down here, but they've certainly not had a good start to the Bundesliga season. And then you've got Club Brugge, who are who are um, I guess relative minnows in in that group. So I think the field is pretty open in in Group B as well. In terms of a stronger group, Graham, how do we feel about Group G? Man City, Sevilla, Borussia Dortmund and Copenhagen in there as well. Um, it feels like there might be two stronger teams in there, but Seville obviously coming into the mix as well. That makes it a tricky group. Think things are not going so well for Sevilla at the moment. So I think at the moment there's a there's a good level of pressure on Lopetegui. Maybe he's not the manager. When does the Champions League kick off next week? I think it's likely he probably is the manager when the Champions League group stage <laughs> kicks off. But he might not be the manager by the time that the group stage finishes. That's how much pressure is on him right now. The fans are unhappy with some of the signings they've made. I, I, I spotted Monchi. He was down on the pitch speaking to fans, trying to reason with them about some of the business they've done this summer. They sold Kunde, they sold Diego Carlos, they've only spent £20 million on replacements. They've started La Liga pretty poorly, the La Liga season pretty poorly. They lost to Almeria at the weekend. So it feels like normally you would say Sevilla, yes, would be up there. They had a poor Champions League campaign last season as well. They didn't make it of a group that they... They were in a group with Lille, Salzburg and Wolfsburg uh, last year. They, they really should have made out of that group and, and they didn't. So they don't have a great record in the Champions League. Maybe if they fall into the Europa League, though, that's where they can do some damage. And then Dortmund... We all know about Dortmund's individual talent, but we've seen the, the soft centre that they have as a group. They conceded those three goals to Werder Bremen a couple of weeks ago, three goals in five minutes or something like that. So I think there's some questions about that group as well. So it's an interesting group in that you have two big clubs in there with Manchester City, but it wouldn't honestly wouldn't surprise me if City win all six games in that group. Fair enough. Um, Taylor? Group H is catching my attention as well. Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, Benfica, Maccabi Haifa in there as well. 
now I think about it, is that the team? Is that the group which has got the one strong team and three slightly weaker teams in it? Possibly. I know it's not quite a fair assessment, but you know what I'm saying. I feel like it's the group that has two teams that seem pretty obvious to make it out because I still think Juve are going to be a very good team and have uh, plenty of talent and depth. And Vlaovic, if you apparently if you let him take a free kick within 30 yards of goal, he will score it. So <laughs> uh, I think for that reason and many others, I would still lean Juve and PSG to make it out of this one. Uh, commiserations to Maccabi uh, Haifa. Maybe they get some points in this one. Uh, we have a question about who will be the new Sheriff Tiraspor. They might be a nominee, but I think they, they may struggle. They may get shelled a couple times in this competi- competition. And I will just hold my hands up and say I'm not as familiar with Benfica, uh, certainly this season. But generally speaking, we don't talk about the Portu- Portuguese league a ton. So I don't want to dismiss them outright. It's just that when you have PSG and Juve and the money they spend and the talent they tend to accumulate, you kind of have to look at the two of them as being the dominant teams and most likely to get out. Joe, do you take umbrage with that? I think you picked, uh, you, uh, picked uh, Benfica as a potential dark horse. I mean, I, I think they're a fun team to watch. I don't know that I would call them potential dark horse to win. No no team that is not in the favorites group that we talked about up front is winning this competition. That's just the reality. Yeah. That's not going to happen. So if you're looking for a fun team to watch that might make the round of 16, that might make the quarterfinals, yeah, I think Benfica are there. I, I don't have any issue, though, with what Taylor's saying. I, I think they have a, a an uphill battle, certainly, to get out of Group H. I, I have an issue. I'd hope you'd fight about it a bit more, if I'm honest. <laughs> well, I have yeah. an issue with what Joe's saying. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here because, Joe, <laughs> when I look at the groups, I see... Oh, no, Porto's there. Okay. Just making sure that we have all three because you, as dictator of Porto, I feel like to be advocating for other Portuguese teams, it's I don't really know how to feel about that. It's a okay. long-term plan. Yeah, I, I see. Okay. I, I have a plan for Benfica's demise. It involves building them up. I should have built them up more. You're right. Actually, Ryan, <laughs> you're right. I should have thought about it more and talked about them as favorites so that when they lose, everyone would think, oh, remember Porto? They didn't let us down like this. They had a nice run, didn't they? <laughs> and that's the plan. Okay. Benfica top of the group. There we go. Yep. Are you gaslighting yourself there, Joe, I think? <laughs> no, just <Awesome>. my subjects. <laughs> very good. So it's very fine. Good. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about some of these group stage matchups. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League preview. Uh, let's pick out some games in the group stage that we're particularly excited about. Joseph Lowry, what's exciting you? So, I mean, first of all, I'm looking towards that group that I think is the hardest group in this competition. I'm looking towards Group C. And there's a couple of different Group C matchups that I think are fun over the next couple of weeks. One is Inter versus Bayern, which is coming up on a Wednesday. That's the 7th of September. 
And then the other one, and this is the the bigger one, especially with Robert Lewandowski flipping sides in this matchup, is Bayern versus Barcelona on Tuesday. So that's 9-13. So not this upcoming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. I'm looking to Group C. And then the other one that I'll, I'll call out specifically, although I think there are a few other ones that are really, really good, is PSG versus Juventus. I'm excited to see PSG against a, a disciplined, allegri Juventus team to see how that looks and excited to see more about Juve as they've made some moves to extremely deep central midfields. That's on Tuesday, September 6th. That's from Group H, which I think is another compelling group here as well. Those are ones that stand out for me, Ryan. But again, there's lots of really compelling matchups in this group stage. There are indeed. Graham, uh, I was thinking about those nights we're going to get in Glasgow. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen some very famous Champions League nights at Celtic. I think some teams are going to have some trouble at Ibrox as well, possibly. Yeah, so the, the the match that I am most looking forward to out of the group stages from a from a, a, a local perspective is uh, Rangers-Liverpool on October 12th. So I, I don't know, because I'm obviously biased being Scottish, I'm, I'm not sure how much that does stand out to most neutrals. But there, uh, but Ibrox has become a, a real fortress for Rangers in Europe recently. Last season, Domenico Tedesco he he said the Ibrox atmosphere was something his RB Leipzig team hadn't experienced before, which is notable given that RB Leipzig play in the Bundesliga, where there's no shortage of uh, of good atmospheres, and it, it's going to be it's going to be rocking the night that Liverpool visit. This is a an experienced Rangers team who know how to grind out results in Europe. They might not make out of that group, but I really I'm pretty confident that Rangers are not going to get blown away in, in in that group. So I'm very interested to see. Uh, how they cope when Liverpool come to town. They've got an excellent record at, at, at Ibrox. They've beaten RB Leipzig. They've beaten Borussia Dortmund. They've uh, beaten PSV, although not actually at Ibrox. They, they beat PSV away from home to qualify for the, the Champions League, but they didn't lose at Ibrox to, to, to PSV. So you, you tend to get the best of Rangers at Ibrox and uh, can Liverpool handle Malik Tillman and James Sands? That's the that's the real question. Absolutely, they cannot. So we've got that answered. Uh, Graham, the, it does feel like it's going to be uh, similar to like Ecuador in South American World Cup qualifying. When I, I fully expect like if Rangers get five points out of this group, I feel like it'll be a draw and two wins at home and then zero points on the road. Because, yeah, it does seem like they have that fortress mentality. I think that's a great shout. Would you say the same thing about Celtic in terms of atmosphere in the fortress? Uh, Raphael Honigstein wrote this in an athletic piece. Uh, Celtic v Real Madrid on September 6th. I've, I've never been to a louder stadium on a big Champions League night than the green half of Glasgow. Uh, it'll be absolutely amazing in there. Yeah, we're we're lucky in Scottish football in that we've got two stadiums that are renowned for for great atmospheres, and I think that I think uh, Rafael Honestein is right that when Celtic Park is is rocking, it's it's one of the most atmospheric grounds in in European football, along with Ibrox. Both of them are are, are kind of on a, on a level pegging there. The thing with Celtic is in recent years, when I say Ibrox has been a fortress for Rangers, I'm talking about kind of the results rather than just the the atmosphere. Celtic Park will have an an excellent atmosphere for every single one of Celtic's Champions League games. But when you look at their European record of the last few years, they've actually not done so well at home, which is slightly confusing. So I think they've still got to prove that they can when they can gain results at home in Europe like Rangers have the last couple of seasons. Good stuff. Tay-Tay, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at Group E. I don't think we've spoken much about it yet on this episode so far. Milan versus Chelsea, the Shevchenko derby. Well, hey. Yeah, man. I mean, you said earlier Celtic uh, and Rangers back in the competition for the first time since 2007-2008. This also feels like a throwback to 2007-2008 where you've got 
I should say a Chelsea team that are dominant or good. We're not quite sure. We think Chelsea will be good, but certainly have have a bunch of money and are always uh, a compelling team to watch. But then Milan have been in the Champions League, obviously, but it's it's been a while since it was that feeling of like, ah, they're a really good team and they will always be very, very competitive. And and I think that Milan-Chelsea game or the Chelsea-Milan game, I should say, on October 5th, um, I think they play each other back to back. That's how the fixtures worked out, which I am pleased about. Uh, I think those games are going to be very fun. Because we could see a Chelsea team that sort of hits their stride, finds their form, and is just humming along being a machine. We could also see the wheels falling off and things continuing to go poorly. While Milan have reinforced, uh, they've added one of the best defenders in the world in the form of Serginho Dest. No bias there at all. So I think uh, Milan in the Champions League is always great to see. Milan-Chelsea has those sort of uh, early 2000s throwback vibes, which is also not a fun thing for me to say at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> Joe, how about um, Man City, Borussia Dortmund? Depending yeah. on where Borussia Dortmund are on their roller coaster of success, it could be pretty good. <laughs> well, this is another fun one, I think, because of a, a player moving, especially. This game would have been fun, and we've seen Dortmund and City playing the Champions League in, in recent history as well. But Erling Haaland moving from Dortmund to City, where there's still a lot of his former teammates on that Dortmund squad, that makes this fun. I think City are, are likely to jackstomp Borussia Dortmund, but there's some fun narratives here, and I hope I hope Gio Reyna is healthy because I think there were some really nice moments between those two players and seeing them go on uh, go against each other on opposite sides of this game could be really, really fun. Plus, there might be goals because Dortmund seems to be borderline catastrophic at times in how they go about playing games and City are are usually not that so there could be goals in this one too there could indeed uh why don't we spend a minute or two talking about some of the lesser known teams if that's a polite thing to say about teams who are in the Champions League this season uh but we did mention Joe Victoria Pilsen yeah um tell us a little about that I'll tell you my experience of Pilsen I went there for a few days many years ago um I had a bath uh filled entirely with beer I went on a beer factory tour and it was like 8 a.m. and they gave us beer and it was below zero Fahrenheit. Fun I, times. I have, I have questions about the beer bath. Yeah. Where, where was, so did, when you checked into your hotel room, the bath was full of beer. Is that where, where it was? Like, no. what was the setting for this beer bath? So Pilsen is known, I think it's Pilsen Urkel is the, is the brewery then and maybe there's a few others, but they're known for beer and like they all just drink it all day long. Uh, evidently, and it's very cheap, and they have beer spas, Graham. So I went to a beer okay. spa. I was making a TV show for the Travel Channel, in fact, and so I was not only had to, the dignity of climbing into a bath of beer, which stinks, but I was filmed while doing it. Um, yeah, don't recommend is my answer there, Graham. <laughs> first of all, first of all, disagree. I will happily jump into a bath yeah, I'll of do beer. That. Uh, second of all, what I'm hearing, there's the, the story that is probably made up, but who knows, that like Humphrey Bogart was the only person not to get... Uh, sick from drinking the water on the set of Casablanca because he didn't drink water; he just drank whiskey. And I feel like maybe that's what uh, that's what the Czechs were doing here, Ryan. They just knew: don't drink the water, drink beer. It's low alcohol, and uh, you know you have a good time. And ice cold beer is always fun. Ice cold beer bath, maybe less so, but still sounds like an amusing time well, to me. That- that's the thing, Taylor. Th- think about how refreshing an ice cold beer is, and it was, as I say, below zero Fahrenheit. Then think about how the the, be- the beer bath is actually presented, where it's hot and it smells. Coffee of bath. A brewery. Coffee bath mm. next, and then you're good to go. Oh wait, it was hot. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm not on board actually. But I do I do enjoy Ryan how you've kind of painted a picture of Pilsen as like Tortuga, the town out of Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. <laughs> Did you also sleep with a a, a pig yeah. in in hay? 
Indeed, yep. Jack Sparrow, the jester of the sea, was there as well. <laughs> a good time was had by all. Joe, Victoria Pilsen. Oh, yeah. I forgot we were still doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ryan, sorry. One more thing. I know we talk about Graham. Actually, I think, do we talk about Taylor as being the most interesting man in the world? Ryan, I think you, you've Taylor. said that before. Um, Ryan, you have a strong run in for that you can't be it because you like applebee's too much but you do have a lot of those things on on the show that you and graham did yesterday i learned that you did the pa announcing at red bull arena it was red bull arena right yeah Yeah. that happened i mean it's not like crazy but i didn't know i'm learning more about you all the time ryan bailey is what Uh, i'm trying to say you don't know that much because we're a chili's family okay we're a twizzlers family okay that okay red never mind let's move past this um, Victoria Plosen, right? Difficult to say, and I'm almost certainly going to say it wrong every single time. They do like beer. In 2017, they installed new dugouts in the shape of giant beer cans at their stadium. So the benches uh, were, or, or maybe still are, beer cans, which is incredible. That was after a partnership with a nearby brewery. That is the best thing that I have ever heard. I love that. They also could be the new Sheriff Tears Bowl because they beat Sheriff Tears Bowl in Champions League qualification to get here. They're probably not going to make that run. And, and the run that Tears Bowl made last year was incredibly improbable with them sitting back and earning 12% possession and, and you know giving up chance after chance. But either way, it happened. It was a fun story while it did. Maybe Victoria will, will do that same thing. They're coached by Gurban Gurbanov, an Azerbaijani manager. They're second in the Czech First League right now, a 13 point through 15 games. They finished second in the regular season last year. And the way that the Czech First League works, buckle up, folks, it's not that complicated, but didn't really think I was going to learn about the Czech First League this week. They finished second in the regular season. Then they go to the championship round. The top six teams in the Czech First League go to the championship round where you just play a round robin against the other top five teams and you build on your points from the regular season, as far as I could tell. So, so like the sixth place team in the Czech First League is pretty much not likely going to be able to do anything that's going to get them a title because they're likely going to be far enough behind that even if they win all five of their games in the championship round, they're still not going to be able to make up the ground between them and the top team. So either way, Victoria finished second in the regular season, then they won the championship round and finished uh, with enough points to get them up to 85. So they finished the regular season with 72, finished the championship round with 85. So they they ended up winning last year and, and now they end up in the Champions League. They have mostly Czech players on their team, although there's some from South America, some from uh, from Africa as well. Their leading scorer from from last season left for Saudi Arabia, which isn't the best side, certainly an uphill battle. But uh, we might get to see some beer either drank or sat in or on or around. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Pilsen versus Bayern's got to be the beer drinking derby, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so we look forward to that one. Uh, Graham, any other teams uh, who are slightly less known? Have you got a tight five on Maccabee Haifi, for example? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I know that they're back in the Champions League group stage for the first time in, in, in 13 years, and they've landed in a very difficult group, and they've got an American goalkeeper in in, in Josh Cohen, and they beat uh, Red Star Belgrade over two legs in qualifying. So that's that's pretty much as much oh, uh, as much as I know I can, about Maccabee Haifa. I, I can spell that one, Graham. Because uh, yeah, they they beat Red Star, but then that was their third uh, like qualifying round because they had already previously beaten Olympiakos and Apple and Limassol from uh, Cyprus. But Olympiakos and Red Star, two two strong teams that like I think when you usually get those early qualifying rounds, it sort of seems like ah yeah, that's like I don't know if they're actually that good to get to where they are now. 
it means they're a solid team that are capable of uh, performing and performing in the clutch. I also think that game against Red Star was either 6-5 to five or 5-4 to four on aggregate. So they're going to score some goals. They're also going to concede some goals. But I think, yeah, for the, for the absence, uh, for that long-term absence since, what, the 2010 season, I think it was, or 2009, 2010, uh, to get them back, I don't know if they'll have much success. Maybe they win a game, but I think they're sort of at the level where that would be a very exciting thing to win a game in the Champions League. So uh, Maccabi Haifa, that's, that's what I've got. And the American goalkeeper, always nice to have the American interest uh, involved as well. One of the stories I am interested in this season in the Champions League, and I think most football fans will have heard of of, of this club before, but Shakhtar Donetsk. So I don't, I don't know if they they count as a smaller club, but it's, it's remarkable do. that they're even playing in the Champions League this season, given what is happening in Ukraine at the moment. Of, of course, Shakhtar haven't played in Donetsk for a number of years now, um, but now they're having to play their home matches in Poland. And Shakhtar used to have a reputation for recruiting players from Brazil, a number of big names went through that club and that made them a very exciting team to watch. Now they've lost a number of foreign players over the last 12 months for obvious reasons. Um, FIFA allowed players to break their contracts and so pretty much all the foreign players ha- have left. So it's only only maybe two or three foreign players left in their squad and then it's uh, all homegrown players and the Ukrainian league has only just started up again. So maybe expectations should be low for Shakhtar in the Champions League this season, but I think it's a, a great story nonetheless. All right. Um, Graham, any nominations for sh- who is the Sheriff Tourist Bowl this year? Um, or there's not one? Doesn't there isn't one. one. I don't think so. No, that's fine. Victoria Pilsen, but I feel like that's unrealistic to expect them to get anything in that group. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Sheriff story was pretty wild. That will take some beating. Why don't we um, end, uh, end this episode with a few questions from listeners? I've got one here, Taylor, that says, will Bayern finally lose a group stage game after going undefeated for 28 games? That's from a completely unbiased fan called Manuel Fate. <laughs> yeah, completely unbiased indeed. Okay, my answer is yes, I think they might, but only because I think that uh, by the later stages of this group, I think it will be somewhat sewn up for Bayern Munich. And so maybe in that last game, I think they've got Inter at home, but I could see a scenario in which Bayern have already qualified, don't have as much to play for, but are still obviously competing in other competitions, have the World Cup looming because that would be on November 1st. So I could see them resting some players, Inter having it all to play for to try to make sure they get second place over Barcelona. Maybe that's where that win occurs. So that would be my answer. If it were going to happen, I think it's at the very end and it's probably via Inter Milan. Okay. Um, so sunny Cal Rob 25. Hey, Rob says, does AC Milan have a strong enough team to finish top of their group? Their group, including, of course, Chelsea, Rebel Salzburg and Dynamo Zagreb. Anyone want to take that? How do we feel? I certainly think they do. I think you're you're looking at Chelsea, obviously, being the other team in that group looking to, to finish top. And I think there are a lot of questions about Chelsea at the moment. And Milan have started the season reasonably well I, I still think they want to add some more goals to their team and I'm, I'm not sure that they have done that over the summer I guess we'll see how De Catalea beds in and they have Divock Origi to, to use this season as well but Pioli's got a, a good unit there right now and Chelsea don't really have that strength and structure at this moment in time maybe Tuchel finds that again maybe when Kante returns things things change but um, I think AC Milan can get results against them. Uh, Chris Bertone asks, who do you think is best positioned to benefit from this year's unique condensed group schedule and the reverse, who's going to struggle because of it? I'm struggling to think of who might benefit on that side of the question. Anyone have any? Well, if you think about it relatively, and I think that's how you have to think about it here, 
teams will benefit relative to others. I'm not sure any team would choose to have this World Cup played in the middle of the season that messes with all of their schedules. So I, I think it's pretty clear that the teams with the most depth and quality can best withstand the fixture congestion, which is just going to help them in, in every competition. So I point to teams like City. I point to teams like Bayern Munich. I point to teams like even Real Madrid. Those teams have, I think, the best shot of weathering all of the games that are coming their way versus do you look at smaller clubs that just don't have the depth, they don't have the financial resources. I mean, you could you could list off a, a dozen of those teams that are at a, a pretty significant disadvantage relative to the big boys, but that's just kind of true all the time, fixture congestion or not. Yeah, so the group stage is done by early November this season, of course. Uh, one last question. We've had a variation of this from many uh, listeners. Thank you very much for everyone who did submit their questions. Which under-the-radar team or teams will be the most fun to watch based on their style of play or the talented players that haven't been poached by bigger clubs yet? Taylor, I'm assuming that's not Ajax, the uh, 2022 model that's been stripped for parts. I mean, um, that's the thing. is like You never know because with very lowered expectations, we'll see who they end up hanging on to by the time the window closes. They're always going to be a compelling team because they have the academy that brings through players that know how to play their style. So I also won't be surprised if they are more competent than we've expected. But I think it's just you have to lower those expectations just a teeny tiny little bit when it comes to Ajax. Okay. Anyone else? Any thoughts on that question? Who's going to be fun to watch? Yeah, I think Benfica have potential to be fun. I kind of have talked about them already. Ajax, I do think, will be fun to watch, even though it's a much different group. It depends on if you like watching things be hit aggressively against other things and a lot of vertical passes. But Salzburg, I think, could do damage. But now I'm just kind of listing through the teams I I said earlier as these hipster picks. So, yeah, I think those teams could certainly present some fun games and some fun matchups. I've got another one, and I'll jump in so Graham doesn't have to do it. I think Celtic will be really, really interesting because uh, Graham did a great job of laying out all the reasons why everyone should should be supporting Shakhtar, but there are lots of things stacked against them. Leipzig haven't had a very strong start to the season. Real Madrid is Real Madrid, so we would assume that they will top that group, but they're always capable of dropping points. They're the ones who lost to Sheriff Tiraspor, after all. So I, I could see Celtic being a really fun team to watch because of that atmosphere and the energy at home. Uh, I would say I'm going to guess a very like physical style when they need to, but also capable of playing some good attacking uh, soccer and some good possession on top. So I think Celtic could also be a team that kind of is under the radar, low-key, very exciting. Yeah. Certainly the second part of that question, talented players that have not been poached by bigger clubs yet, I think that is very much Celtic. So Kyogo, Abada, Jota, Matt O'Reilly, a central midfielder, Juranovic, he was linked to Atleti and, and Manchester United this summer. I think there's a lot of players in that Celtic team that people who don't watch Scottish football are going to hear a lot about over the next few years when they inevitably leave Celtic and go to the Premier League or somewhere else. Wonderful stuff, guys. I think that just about concludes our Champions League preview. Graham Rutherford, thank you so much for all your insight today. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, sir. You too. And folks, go Google Jota and then tell me that that man isn't 17 years old, even if he's 23. That that man is George Michael, is what he <laughs> yes, looks like. Yes, he does. Oh, my God. <laughs> Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your services at this early hour for you, sir. You got it, Ryan. And listener, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye. 